The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Holy crap, this is episode 40. Yeah, 4-0. Nobody has yanked us yet. They haven't said, who gave these idiots the microphone? And more importantly, Warlord has, hasn't said, they let these guys talk about our game and, and talk like they know what they're doing? What a bunch of morons. Well, we're back and I've got Brett. How you doing, Brett? I'm good. Happy to be here. Got Chris on as well. What's up, man? Yeah, so we put the team back together. Uh, it is good to talk to you guys. I mean, not like I didn't just see you a few weeks ago or whatever it was before we took a break from podcasting, threw our hands in the air and said, I'm just going to you know, light my hair on fire and catch coronavirus or whatever you do in Florida these days. Uh, but we had a good time playing some Malta games, playing uh, a little bit of Phantom Leader after you left there, Chris. You missed out on that. Uh, and just trying to get some good aerial gaming in. Did you guys at least have uh, have a little bit of fun? Uh, during that time? Heck yeah. Dude, I had a ball. That Malta map was the shiznit. And the whole freaking trip was worth putting a torpedo into a boat that never sank. But I, I torpedoed yeah, something. Exactly. <laughs> I <laughs> torpedoed something with my Steve Toth nice edition SM79. Oh, don't inflate his ego. Don't don't tell him how wonderful they are. <laughs> hey, they look, were horrible. They were terrible. The e- Steve needs all the ego inflation he can get after his freaking his Wally World freaking moment of driving to the freaking <laughs> driving to the National Mall to the freaking Air and Space Museum. Did you see that one the other oh, day? Oh yeah. So, and, so there, let's, and there's a let's, sign saying it's closed. And then everybody started posting those clips. Hey, sorry, folks. Park's closed. Motion or told. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's no love for your buddies at that point. I, I, now, I got to say, so so we got to get it out there and rub salt in the wound because he had the Wally world moment of, hey, Moose out front should have told you it's closed. Where did you just go? I just went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and it was not closed. And I highly encourage everybody because of all the COVID whiners that are freaking curled up in their houses, acting like they're going to die if they go out and get a piece of fresh air. The hangars, I think there was two to 300 people in all six of the hangars at any one given time. It was just, it was a ghost town. You just move around, do whatever you want to. You had to wear a mask, but that was no big deal. Um, kind of gotten used to that. It was amazing. I mean, it was, the, the displays are, are just, it is a first rate top shelf aviation museum. Man, some of those pictures you were sending, I was getting so mad. I was so jealous. Dude, just, I mean, the fact that they have a 30, you know, the 30 from the, the 262, and it's cut in half, like with a plasma torch. So you get a cross-section of the whole shell loading system and how it all worked. Um, for guys that are not a fan of the Rough Ride card, um, you need to go to the museum and see the two cockpits. They have the cockpit side by side and realize that one is a Cadillac DeVille and the other one is a Yugo. And there's a reason why it beat the crap. Don't, don't go calling our MIG pilot buddies Yugo drivers. I mean, to, come on. We got to have at least some some standard and semblance here. Come to, on. I, I'm just telling you, those guys were balls of steel to strap themselves to a rocket engine in what was little more than a Walmart chair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we argued about it a lot. I don't want to go back into the Vietnam playtesting discussion, but – 
but a lot of people had a lot of heartburn over some of the stuff we were talking about. Uh, when you when you take a cockpit like a MIGS and you cram in a radar and you cram in a gun sight and you cram in radar warning receivers and all kinds of other crap all on top of each other. And pretty soon you're looking out of about a three inch slit above the top of all that stuff. Um, not exactly the best system to go go fight an air-to-air combat with. But, hey, you know, at least you had a good time. You got to see the museum. Yep. Uh, it was amazing. You didn't lick any doorknobs, did you? So we don't have I to did. worry about isolating you. Okay. How cool was the V-52? You saw Command Decision? Yeah, well, the th- Command Decision, it's only the fuselage. And I was really bummed because they have several um, things there that you're supposed to be able to walk through. And that was the whole thing with Command Decision. It was a, it was a, like a walkthrough viewing where you went in one side and you came out the other. And you were able to see the entire inside of the airplane. But everything that you could walk through was closed. That was the only thing that was a bummer about the museum. But because of window lickers that, like you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and actually probably my wife who would have been in there with a screwdriver trying to take a piece of every airplane with her. Yeah, no, DCMA cannot foist that off on us as new equipment. They, they can't make us take that stuff. <laughs> I don't no, trust those people. Just, I was telling Brett that the experimental, which is the last wing of the museum, it's all the experimental aircraft that we've built over the years. And they had a goblin there, which is I've seen pictures of it before. And I just thought it was one of the weirdest little funkiest little airplanes that somebody would climb in that and go fly around the sky. It was just amazing. But it, it, it's straight up dust. I mean, it's like you're like witnessing. It is. Yeah, you, you could take anything out of that wing and like paint it green and slap decals on it and it would fit into dust 1947. Yes, it would. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about Malta a little bit. So, yeah, you guys had fun beating up on me and it was a good game. It was it was frustrating because you tossed me. I mean, you flew uh, your laden bombers all the way around the outside. Uh, unlike, you know, manly Brett there who decided to fight his way through the heavy flack, the flack yeah, Brett went for the hey diddle diddle up the middle. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, Brett, how'd that work out for you rolling your one die in your dive attack? Yeah, well, uh, I can say that torpedoes do the Lord's work, but none of my bombers were equipped with torpedoes. So, <laughs> exactly. so, so your dive bombers are your level bombers, your JU-87s and your JU-88s. Uh, yeah, they, they were awesome at one or two dice uh, a piece and no successes. After right? seeing the effectiveness of torpedoes, torpedo shackles are way underpriced. Well, you know, I, so that was kind of the funny thing uh, going through this is it made perfect sense on the SM-79. I'm like, yeah, it, this this aircraft, we are we're playing an older SM-79, putting the torpedo shackles, so it's going to be a little bit slower, trade-off for the capability. It all makes sense. Um but then you have that moment that you're like, holy crap, I could actually put this on anything. <laughs> and I've got six high-performing single-engine airplanes all shooting torpedoes. And that's not how a torpedo bomber worked. <laughs> yeah. It was it was pretty sick. Um, and I, I the only way I had to get at you was to fly them up the middle because I knew the second I freaking – the second I put them on the table, I knew that the high-cover freaking Spitfires were going to be in my Wheaties. And you were able to, you know, it was it was kind of like that Death Star scene where you're coming down the trench and everybody's kind of trying to work themselves to the point where they can fire the photon torpedo. And at the same time, everybody is pieces of your freaking squadron are flying off around. You know, yeah, it was, that was definitely what it was like. Well, I don't hey, think I had you, much left after the run. You only lost one of three bombers. The True. other one was on one engine by one the time engine. it launched, <laughs> launched its torpedo, one out of three. So not bad there. And then, uh, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting because I hadn't I hadn't math hammered it beforehand. And had I thought about it, I would never have gone for Brett's JU-87s because they truly were, were like one die each uh, in the dive attack. And I, and I should have gone, let them do it. They can do whatever they want against this cruiser that's out there because uh, they're not going to get, uh, percentage-wise, they're not, they're not my threat. 
Uh, yeah. but it was, they, they, they might have been decent against one of the typical ground targets, like a truck column or tanks yeah. or, or, or even against a, an unarmored merchantman. You know, just the fact that when you have um, ships that are already out there maneuvering, so they're, they're cutting your, your level uh, and your dive bombing dice down, and then their armor, so you, your strafing is losing uh, at least a die there. You know, those, those kind of ships, just they're made for torpedo bombers. Um, that's what you want to use. And so um, that, that was a good, uh, good scene to see. It was funny, though, for both of us, actually for all of us. When you need the dice to work, they don't. Uh, so it was just, it was funny how many, uh, you know, skill four, you know, high firepower shots I had at you playing cards to increase the number of firepower dice that I still rolled most success. And I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> oh, that, was my, that was my shooting attacks all day. Yep, yep. All day. Finally get the drop on somebody and it's like, <laughs> Yep, but you know. <laughs> That, that's how that's how the game goes. You got to be used to uh, be prepared for the dice to go cold. Um, Brett, excited. what did you think of the of the attacks? Even though your your poor Stukas flew all the way uh, down there for for little to no effect. Yeah, I didn't have any great expectation that they would do much, but you know, I guess they served their purpose in being a bit of a distraction. But it was fun. I, I really wanted to fly them just because I hadn't done the uh, dive bombing action yet, so that was kind of cool. Um, it gave me an appreciation for the uh, Ju eighty eight that uh, even though they weren't big in this um in this particular mission i can i can see that in a different scenario yeah maybe well, with different type target they'd well be if you were cool. if you're going for a ship that's gonna you know have your dice and then remove another <laughs> half of them so i think you were you you went from i'd have to do the quick math in public uh like five attack dice down to two or something like that by yeah the time. it was two uh, it was By painful. The time we're down there. Yeah. Well, so and, so and the, the Ace had uh, they have one forward firepower, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, and they've yeah, got the absolutely. two plus one rear. So I mean, they could be fairly formidable if you had you know maybe a typical scenario seven with two elements of three, and you've got fighters trying to interdict them. I mean, they might they might uh, make it painful for your opponent. Yeah, I, I think they definitely have their place, and I like them at least in a in a larger kind of scenario where you're hitting big fixed targets. I I like those aircraft um the only thing i don't like about the scenario seven as we all laughed at the start of it was was the cheese of you know splitting up your fighter elements to get more bombers and i'm like but what penalty does that give you and now you guys were bringing three elements of bombers you know i've got six uh, multi-engine bombers and six uh, single engine bombers by the time i'm done i'm like oh this is going to be awesome <laughs> oh yeah and then you had all the fighters to deal with at the same time i mean well, that you know, was which, that which was is kind of funny on me so I was thinking through that on on some of the tactics, and you know, obviously, um, shouldn't have sent the Spitfire fives to race up the board to try to engage you further away because it really didn't matter. The joke of it was, it really didn't matter trying to shoot down any of the bombers early, and obviously, I concentrate on the wrong ones, concentrate on Stukas initially. Um, but the funny part of it is, I kind of looking back at it, it should have just made you come to me and just had my Spitfire fives orbit about ten inches away, right about where the edge of the clouds were. And, and start trying to pick bombers off because it took multiple turns to get into that firing position, especially after hitting the clouds. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you hold troops in reserve in freaking Warhammer, um, especially in Heresy, and you bring them in late and then they don't do any work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, just the yeah. points, they become a point sink because of the, uh, the, the fact that they're just not on the board shooting something. And you've really got to freaking gauge that point. Yeah, but that I, I'll be honest. If, if I, I think forever. if I had put the hurricanes on the board, I think both would have been boomed out. I think it wouldn't have just been the Spitfires that got boomed out. I think both of them would have been boomed out, and I, or been close, and I would have had fewer fighters to shoot your torpedo bombers with yeah, instead true. of having the full 
a full echelon of, of six uh, hurricanes hammering at you from uh, when you jumped off the board, which which brings up an interesting point that thankfully I caught before I, I deployed my guys. But there's a real temptation that as soon as you fly onto the board to immediately put that high cover behind you and to immediately jump on the board as the, spit, as the hurricanes. But I needed to let you fly forward for actually two turns uh, so that I could jump on the board, be able to attack you at a slow enough speed where I'd get two shots or maybe even three at you um, as, you're, as you're heading towards the target. Yeah, that was the painful part too because the target was so close to the board edge. So you, you, you had that the fact that you're overtaking something that was slow that you did only have those those precious two freaking attacks before you were going to blow past. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's weird. And I, like like I said when we discussed it with Andy uh, during Gathering of Eagles during the virtual one, I, I understand why he did it that way so people don't have to fight their way through everything just to get to the target. But especially if you are on a smaller board like a three by three. Holy crap! Those those bombers will come out of high cover off that board edge, and in about two turns, they're already at their attack. Yeah, so I don't know how sense. playing a ground strike mission on a three by three would go. I think I, I can't be, imagine it. That would, would just be well. eye pain. That would just be pain. Yeah, for the person that's trying to defend. So if if the other person's got a couple elements and you're just wise about your positioning, that would just be pain. Well, the. It, I think Brett saw it. There's, there comes a point that even on a four by four with a single target and this number of forces, it's just, it's a traffic jam and, and there's too many airplanes for what we're trying to do. (laughs) It didn't help with all those Stukas, you know, six Stukas followed by three more Ju 88s all in this, you know, heading in the same track, right to the target. That was a lot of planes, just just in bombers, not including the, 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 um, the, uh, 79s. That's a lot. It was hilarious. We were playing on an eight by four and we basically played on a three by three in the corner. Yeah, yeah we did. We pretty much ended up on the corner three by three by the time it was all done. As soon as you put that uh, single target down, I was like, okay, that's where we're all going. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's one of the other interesting things as, as Brett will talk about with campaigns and some other things is is deciding do you go for one target, do you go for two targets? Because, you know, I think there, there probably is another clause that ought to be in there. Um, and, and it's always hard to make this mandatory, but it's one of those things people should think about that if you start ending up with, you know, six, 12, you know, six, nine, 12, you know, bombers out there, you probably need two targets. Not, not necessarily so much that you're going to try to, to keep the defender from losing the game, but just so everybody doesn't end up in the same yeah, nine so circle. Up, so you don't end up with a circle jerk knot right there in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah. which maybe what uh, you know Brett's guys wanted was a big circle jerk, but I, I, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> they are German. <laughs> <laughs> two things, two things that stand out for me it was I think back on that game. One was just how awesome all the planes looked on the mat. You know, everything was painted and the mat looks cool. So that was fun. That was you know visually it was it was very satisfying. But uh, also had uh, the Malta story playing in the background with Alec Guinness and everything, and there was that moment that was completely coincidental when you took the video and you were panning around the action on the table, right when there was the big scene of all this dog fighting or something going on. So there's all this, uh, you know, sound effect in the background that sounded like we planned. That was, <laughs> that, that yeah, was that, that was funny. pretty funny. Although it, watching that movie was painful because you're like, Oh my God, this is such campy acting. This is horrible. But you know, it's, it's what it was for the time with Sir Alec Guinness being the, the lone recce pilot. I don't go shoot people down. I'm a recce pilot. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but no, that was, that was definitely good. Um, I think the map looked awesome. I think uh, everything was, was a lot of fun. I think 
what it at least showed me is there's still a lot to airstrike that people need to figure out before they go airstrike is awesome or airstrike sucks um there's just a, a lot of things that you have to do to make sure you make the game fun um, but that's that's the way the other scenarios are because if you just keep playing them out of the book the same way every time uh, it's got it's going to get old or you're just going to get tired of getting beat with a certain kind of airframe that's you know i know i've been ringing this bell a lot but that's the one thing i am really happy about with this campaign that i'm playing with steve is that uh we get so many reps in playing different missions, different scenarios, and they're always different. Even when we play the same scenario back to back, it's a totally different game. I mean, the way things end up laying out, it's different. So I, I agree with you. I don't think you can just play a couple of games and go, yeah, you know, this is, I feel strongly this way about this. It, it is, I feel like it's got a lot of depth and a lot of richness and a lot of variety. And even without changing any of the conditions in any single scenario. And a lot of the scenarios have wildly different scenarios or, or wildly different conditions and alternate alternate things that you can do. But even if you don't exploit all that, you're still going to have a much different game each time you play, in my opinion, so far. Well, and there's something to be said for knowing the victory conditions cold because there are slight amount of points differences between some of the squad or some of the scenarios as to what a defender counts for or what a multi-engine attacker counts for. And so you really have to kind of prioritize it because there was a point in there where it didn't matter if I shot down the entire torpedo wing. There was no way I was going to get back the points that you gained by um, by shooting down a, a whopping two defending airplanes, but putting you know, two torpedo hits <laughs> on the cruiser. So it was, uh, it was kind of interesting to see how, how I had to rack back up the points as the defender. And then I, I was well on track to do that until one of my dudes got shot down and by the, uh, by the cruiser's own light triple a, which was, you know, poetic justice for me being a moron and leaving him there at, at the, the closest disadvantaged fighter. I like that. Uh, we got to use some of the markers and other tools are new to us. Those, um, those, uh, uh, hit trackers and the the new um, barrage markers they look pretty cool on the table. Yeah, I, I like those those flak markers. Chris. Those flak markers are sick, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I like as them. As soon as I saw them, I was like, oh god, Doug, I gotta have these. I was, like, I'm making you a set. They'll be on the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I I was afraid based on the size that we were trying to change them to, they'd be a little fiddly. And so when I put that first set together, I'm like, man, I'm not sure how this is going to play because because you know how it is. I mean, everybody's damn airplanes are getting knocked around by themselves, but those markers seem to do well. And sure, you could always put, you know, uh, some kind of weight under the base, um, but they're such light acrylic, they don't, they don't topple over. They're not, a, they're not off balance or anything. And, and they're the exact right size. So. Oh, they just, it's just the way they look. I mean, I, that's, I've seen some amazing things done in acrylic, like the little burning markers for vehicles, you know, to mark them with the little flames on top that you showed me. I know you're the, you're the lit go man. But that is got to be one of the coolest effects. So the little brown cloud with the little orange freaking flames shooting out oh, of the yeah. side of I, it. I mean, I, like, you know, God. I'm such a fanboy for Litco, and, and I don't know how to say it any other way because I, I'm an acrylic addict, and the quality of stuff that Ken and his his team up there have put out is it looks cool. It's most of them are fairly easy to assemble. Assemble some of them are a little fiddly, um, but man. That they just look so cool on the battlefield, and you can get some huge ones for twenty eight mil scales for to put on top of a tank for it to smoke yeah. out. You know? Well, so. it 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 made me the one thing I kept thinking of when I looked at the flak marker because of what the way flak works. I was just like, I just wish there was a game 
where you needed to track grenade explosions <laughs> because imagine yeah. that in 28 yeah. mil is oh, a grenade yeah. explosion, you know, and you're putting it in the middle of the guys and you got these little orange flames sticking out in this big freaking, oh God, it just, yeah, lit goes a bomb. Well, me being the, the war criminal I am, I was uh, sitting there looking at it and realizing that uh, they would make nice uh, shake and bake markers. So if you're out there shooting Willie Pete and, uh, <laughs> and, and Frag, that would be, uh, that'd be pretty nice. I, it's a little thing, but I, I'm a big fan now of the uh, high-vis laden markers because I find I lose those damn things anyway, but the high-vis ones are perfectly sized and are easy to spot. Yeah, that was a that was a good lesson learned was that we'd produced these kind of lower-vis ones, um, but on the on the map and with you know aircraft bases and everything else, the fluorescent green ones <laughs> really kind of kicked ass because <laughs> we'd, we'd never lose them. It almost made me think that I want to put like a magnet on the base of the bombers so that you got a place to stick that freaking laden marker so it doesn't like flip around. I mean, that's going to the extreme, but I thought that that would be something that you'd be, even if you didn't yeah. put uh, another, you know, magnet, just kind of like you do with, you're doing weapon swaps for a 30 K and 40 K models where you just put a piece of freaking, um, paperclip in there for the magnet to bond to That would be perfect. Just so that they're stuck to it and you don't have to worry about it. Of course I get off my butt and paint the perfectly magnetized torpedoes that Steve freaking sent me. Um, for my 79s, but... Um, I can shoot all my torpedoes off my 79s and just <laughs> pull them right off. Thanks, Steve. You're I'm just so glad I did the freaking torpedo squadron freaking paint job and got those special... Got Kevin to do me special freaking decals for it because that I hate made it all of that you. much better. Steve Toth, I hate you. They look even better in person than in the photographs. Isn't that always the case? I mean... Oh, God, they look awesome. looks so the, good on the table. Just yeah. having... having, having I mean, those freaking hurricanes that Trevor did were gorgeous. In fact, yeah, I, the yeah. first thing I did was like, dude, paint recipe, please tell me exactly how you did it. Because the weathering on that camouflage on the hurricanes is some of the best. It just boy, looks boy, like it was tough, re- wasn't it? As Trevor told you, that was a lot of work. Uh, yeah. He's <laughs> you start like, with oh, middle dude, stone and uh, like, dark green. Like, and like, Agrax, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, holy so, shit. I was laughing when he and I talked to him as we were, as we were putting together the, the paint scheme. He said, what do you want? I'm like, hey, man, it needs to be the same stuff that I use. That if the only difference is the wash, I'm cool with that. But otherwise, tone wise, everything needs to be the same as what I'm doing. So we went out, we picked the Vallejo colors. And of course, Middlestone is always the hardest one to find. You're like, fuck me. Why do I have to order a whole box just to get this one stupid desert tone? Um, but, uh, you know, having those and having obviously my, unfortunately, somewhat glossy Spitfire Mark Fives because I haven't put the decals on them yet. Uh, but it was it was pretty cool to have them out there with both the same uh, same paint schemes. Dude, I was just glad to get the 202s on the table, and they flew the way I thought they were going to fly. It was neat using one of our our created ace cards, using an airplane that we freaking built the card for. It was just, um, you know, it was just everything came together. Those are a, a great value, I think. Oh, they were I think they're way, way undercosted. They're way undercosted. Way undercosted. <laughs> so, I'm Andy, the if first you're listening. To admit it. I'm the first Lead one pursuit. to admit it. Yeah, lead, lead pursuit was to change the C two hundred two card. Yeah, <laughs> they were awesome though. But I, I think I think they were a great airplane, and it was fun to fight against them. I just think point value for point value. I'm like, holy crap, where's the where's the bad part of it? And and once again, some of it is scenario dependent um, because there are there are ways that that you would do the setup that you could say, okay, I, I can see how if I'm playing bounced or some of these other scenarios, they might be uh, a detractor, but. Uh, Whew, 
in this scenario, going toe to toe with Spitfires, uh, with Mark Fives at least, they were they were fun. Well, I think a lot of it just came down to it, the fact that you were spread out trying to do, you know, you were you were doing the Lord's work in about eight different directions. So yeah, well, it's, and it's just it's tough it in that kind of a scenario. Tyranny of freaking of oh my god, the second I shoot this guy, somebody else is behind me, and that was the only reason I got behind you that first time is you were freaking you were trying to get those those eighty sevens and freaking I just yeah, which was timing just wise just terrible. rolling right behind you. Terrible decision to shoot for the 87s who had um, nearly zero chance of damaging the cruiser. But yeah. you, you learn when you play uh, um, play the through the ground attack rules that some of these targets are, are a lot harder to hit. And if, and if you listen to people who have only played against convoys and maybe even tank columns, they're like, oh, man, everything's easy to kill in, in airstrike. Oh, no, it ain't. <laughs> oh, no, it ain't. <laughs> oh, no, we, we tried. I mean, we what did we put it? What do we have on the board, Brett? We had Just, six 87s, four 88s, three, three, three 88s, 88s and, three and three 79s with torpedoes. And we didn't sink it. We put two torpedoes into it. But it, it was a destroyer, sink. wasn't it? Yeah, it was a destroyer. Uh, oh, that's right. It was a destroyer, yeah, was destroyer. not a cruiser. You're right. Yep. It was a destroyer. And that, well, that's one of the things I realized, too. Is like, oh, man, I need to get some uh, I need to get some more. Ground, so I'm kind of on a hunt for some new ground target models because I have some freighters. Because Brett some, doesn't have enough, <laughs> and I have bridges and a factory and an airfield, but Dude, oh, I don't was, have tanks or trucks or artillery positions or a cruiser or destroyer. So I'm I'm gonna get those. It so, was so cool having the British stuff to park in the harbor, and yeah, the way they yeah. did that, that map. That's what I was, was like. Say, was even stuff, pins even stuff having, that we didn't play with was cool yeah. to have on the board. Yep, it just made it feel. As you were rolling in on the harbor to have real stuff anchored, you know, three-dimensional freaking little ships that were anchored in the harbor or little freighters that are still that are moving around in the bay, even though they have no play in the gameplay. There's just this this freaking bird's eye view of that freaking movement that makes it just look so freaking epically real, especially when you've got a map like the guys in Russia turned out for us. It is just Brett. I mean, oh, that thing is just insane. Well, the scale on those on those uh, one to twenty four hundred ships was almost perfect. I think they're a little larger than scale for the map, but not enough that it's distracting. I mean, it looked well, like they're, they fit they're right actually in. twice the size, so it's it's kind of funny because I went through and I and I was talking about it with with one of the guys in the ready room, and and we picked to about one to five thousand to be the scale of the of the map itself, and then doubling the size of the targets to one to twenty four hundred for some of those the, some of the ships um, made it made it pretty good, I think. I think that's an ideal size when you consider like the traffic jam. You know, if you want your targets to be roughly the size of the cards that are in the airstrike book, you know, like a three by five card, maybe those those uh, are going to fit in that kind of footprint. Well, I, I can I can see doubling the scale if guys went to like one to twelve hundredth or so on the on the ships. I, I can see that for at least the art value, because at least then you're, you're putting more paint on your ships and you're getting some detailed models. Um, I think. I think those that would not, that would be an acceptable scale, as I guess what I should say. But I think after a while, like you indicate, I mean, you're going to have a carrier that's now you know seven inches long. Yeah, I think uh, we had we had those little ships in there. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the carriers we have so far they're probably about four inches long, maybe five inches. Yeah, long, I think like that. I think they're about four, three and a half, four inches. Yeah, I mean, they're they're pretty small. I mean, the ones that I got from GHQ in that scale are pretty small. So are I got certain, all of the midway carriers. I haven't built any of them yet, but they're I, just looking at them comparatively to, you know, Blood Red Skies airplanes. It's like, oh, those things are pretty tiny. But I got to say this too, Brett, the ships that you did, the paint schemes you put on them were amazing. And then those flight deck decals that were on the British carrier, those things are just wicked. They add such a level of finish 
to such a tiny model that it, 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 it just having those, 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 those painted freaking deck lines, it just makes that little teeny tiny model look like, wow, that's a, that's a great looking carrier. Yeah. It makes a real difference. The Yorktown I did with those, you know, that, that just enhances it so much with those decals. So highly recommended. Yeah. I, I so order the, those for all of the, the midway carriers for the U S and for the, the Japanese and the, the decal sheets, they, they're just gorgeous. I, I, I can't wait to put them together. I just haven't had the time. The one thing I will say that's that's really an advantage of the smaller scale ships, and it, you know we'll talk about Midway uh, here in a couple, actually in about a week or so. Uh, the the fact that there were a couple times that dive bombers were setting up for attacks, and they were like, "Well, do I attack this cruiser, or do I attack what I think is a destroyer over there, or I'm going to watch the other dive bomb squadron attack the carrier?" And that if you if you have really big ship models, you can't do that because then all of a sudden you're playing on an eight foot table. Um, but if you have reasonable size ship models, you can put them the required mile to mile and a half, two miles apart in game scale. And so they can be, you know, nine to 12 inches apart or something like that. And it allows the the bombing player to have to make a decision. And and it isn't just that I fly to a point in space and I attack any ship within six inches. It's like, okay, if I'm going to go attack these cruisers, I'd have to fly an extra turn in a different direction um, and exposed to the, the fighters and the flak and everything else. So I think I think it's cool for that scale. Yeah, about that size, it's good. Nobody's going to, you know, you're not going to have any exploits with range distances and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what else have you guys been working on? I know there's a lot of stuff that's come out from Warlord that we, we've we been drooling over. Uh, a lot of discussion about the JU-88s coming out, JU-88Cs. Brett, uh, I'm surprised you don't have a set of those already sitting uh, in your inbox. Uh, well, not yet, because, you know, really my collection so far is all early war. I haven't even started getting into more late war stuff. So, you know, we're talking... Uh, JU-88Cs, if I'm not mistaken, are like night fighters really doing the uh, defense of the Reich, shooting down bombers, right? So uh, that's the only reason. It's just because I've been so focused on Malta and Battle of Britain and now Stalingrad from my collection and stuff I've painted up. I just haven't gotten to those yet, but I think I think they're super cool. I can't wait to get my hands on them. Yeah, there's there'll be some nice ground attack uh, missions that you can do with some of those. And and Chris, your PE twos and uh, and the, those are out I've there. I've got so. two of the AIM PE twos, which I really really enjoyed building. But I will say, just some models have wonky bits on them, and the the, the rudder sections, the the tail sections on the PE twos from AIM, they're just really hard to work with. They're super thin resin. There's a lot of mold lines on them and they're kind of painful. And I'm just really hoping that that one little kink's worked out because of uh, what I'm going to do is I'll be honest, I'm just going to order the ACE model, uh, Maria Delonia, and I'm going to, I'm going to look at that model. And then if it looks better than the AIM models, I'll be buying freaking six of them without a doubt and redoing yeah, all the paint It's a like box that. of six, isn't it? Yeah. It's not it's like, a box it's of not six. like you're getting a box of three again. You're getting a what? whole box of six. Getting yeah. six I didn't know PE2s. That. Yes. Yeah. Six PE2s. Wow. Yeah, okay. so I mean, so you've got enough PE2s and you're talking airstrikes, you're talking three on table max. You could actually, you know, when you got the, when you add the ACE in there, so now you got two different paint schemes you could run. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, that's like, that's like model. the 110s, you know, don't make this mistake I did. Get all your, get all six of your 110s and paint them all in the same scheme. Because when you ever get a field six 110s on the board. <laughs> well, that's what I did with the Mossies when I got them. I painted two Mossies in one squadron, two Mossies in another squadron, two Mossies in another squadron. I was like, I'm just not going to run ever that many of them from the same squadron on the table at one time. Or we could do like I did and just get multiple boxes. Just, you know, whenever you paint them, 
just paint the whole box for the entire squadron every time you do it. I've made that because, that. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Brett has a problem. Yes. <laughs> oh, dude, looking at Brett's freaking German, it's like the Untia cabinet. It is just gorgeous. Looking at the stuff that's in there, man. When you see all that stuff together, and then when I went down the stairs, you were like, "I can't believe what I can't remember what I was going downstairs." You told me to go downstairs to the paint room to get something. I went down there, and and there's that freaking B twenty nine you were working on that was on the table, and I'm like, immediately my eyes are drawn to that freaking night camo pattern. You've got the circles on the bottom. I'm just like, oh, dude, that looks so sick. <laughs> Those things are really coming along good. You know, I think my favorite model so far is still a 110. I, I have a single recce version I did that uh, Kevin made custom. Uh, he made a custom sheet for me with just recce, uh, recon, 110 decals. And it's probably my, it's only one. I have one painted this particular scheme, but it's still my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's so many different schemes you can do anyway that it's it gets kind of funny. Whether you say, "All right, I'm just gonna, you know, buy something in uh, in a box of six, because even with Warlord resin, it's not crazy expensive. We'll see how the prices hold for the rest of the year as things go up." Uh, but uh, the nice thing is, at least the rumor, the rumor is the resin MiG 15s, the resin F 86s are going to come out in multi, you know, customizable size packs. So when you order them off the website, you can say, "I want two, I want four, I want six. Uh, and they'll give you uh, the right number of pilot discs and everything kind of in those in those uh, pre-done packs. And it should be the same for the F9 Panthers. Uh, so so hopefully, you know, at least we'll have some of these uh, Korea-era uh, jets no longer in white metal, uh, all in resin and in customizable batches. Yeah, it was a great thing about the Air Museum the other day, too. They've got an entire Korea wing. It's just Korea and the, the some of the airplanes that were in there. It was just it was just amazing to walk around. I I had seen you know the the airplane on a stick Crusaders before at multiple bases, but you know seeing a shooting star and seeing some of these other airplanes that just are not common to see out there. It was it was neat to be up close to those aircraft and and a couple B twenty nines. It was just amazing. Do they have any F eighty fours? I want to get Doug interested in those. Uh. I think I'm, <laughs> I'm sure they have one. It's filed <laughs> under a turd with wings. Can I, I, I want to make it, it's not a jet one. It's a jet point five. Yeah, so. I was looking for a meteor just so I could so, so post it for all the Brit guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's exactly. actually, we actually, well, we actually got one of these. It was like, nah, there was no tech in it. We wanted, so it's not here. <laughs> I, I still laugh because there's, I, th- I saw photos of a U.S. painted meteor at one point, but there's a lot of photos of U.S. painted mossies. So the funny part is there's a number of mosquitoes that uh, the Army Air Force said, hey, we need some of those and flew them. Um, well, so there's a, thing, a number of Brit planes we've grabbed over the time. Well, that was a thing I was uh, kind of interesting about the World War II Museum is they've got several Spitfires there and they're all painted in American colors. I just felt that kind of odd, you know, and yeah. they were explaining why they did that because there were people that different base commanders that helped Wright Patterson build the museum that were actually flew this airplane before they flew another one and that they painted in that livery. And I'm like... I get that, but yeah, you know, because yeah, we're the Americans. It's we're an take iconic British aircraft, and they didn't have a hurricane; they had a tiger moth, I mean, oh, yeah. and oh. the tiger moth was at oh. the end of the World War One freaking display. So, which I know it's kind of mid-war; it's in between the two, and it became a trainer by World War Two. But it was, it was just, I was just like, I was so wanted to see at least one hurricane there. Mm. 
<laughs> there just wasn't not, not so much. So, so not yeah, that, so. It, it is a little lacking in that in that kind of regard. There's a lot of and it, when you understand why Wright Patterson is there and why the aircraft that specifically are Wright Patterson are there, it's not because somebody started some amazing collection. It's because that's where we took it back and we tore it apart and we tested it. Exactly. That's how it all ended up there. Um, when you look at it from that scenario, I can see why certain things are in the collection the way they are, but I would have liked to see just a little bit more of the, the Yukon Jack flying in, in that museum, especially on the okay. airplanes that were predominantly flown by those guys. Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely. think that would have been a little bit more reasonable. I mean, they had a, they had a recce Spitfire that was painted with American colors. I mean, get, I get it, but that just, I just not thinking that happened a whole lot. <laughs> Yeah. We're going to take a temporary break, and I'll be right back. I need some more beer. We're back, and we're going to continue to talk about playing Blood Red Skies, but most importantly, about Brett getting beat by his son, at least twice that I can think of. So tell us about uh, Gavin Spitfires. Oh, so after everybody was over, right, you know, Gavin saw us up there playing and everything, and he was asking me after you guys left, like, hey, you know, you think I could play? I'm like, of course you could play. And I was really excited that he was you know, really interested in it. Of so, course you could play. I could give you Spitfires and you can beat me just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, he's a cheater. He's officially a cheater. He wants the Spitfires. Excellent. I have a, a big book with all these uh, trifold, you know, foldouts of all the, you know, real main players, World War II fighters and bombers from all the different factions. I said, here, chew on this. Tell me what you like. And he was drawn to all the RAF stuff. And I was showing him the Spitfires. He's like, wow, that's really cool. And, uh, he was funny. He, I said, well, those are really good in the game. And he's like, well, I want Spitfires. I want Mossies. I want Hurricanes. Like he, he wanted, he had like a whole like shopping list in his head. I was like, you know, hold on. Let's start with the, let's start with the Spitfires you like and go from there. <laughs> so that's where we're at. We're at. We just took the mold lines off today. And, uh, he hasn't, he hasn't, uh, been able to, uh, see the joy of the tight turn card yet, but you know, we've just been playing some really basic games about cars, but I think he's going to be pretty happy. Dude, after playing with my 202s with a tight turn and then rolling in and playing 109s versus Spitfires, and, oh, God, like I said, I, I felt like I was in a freaking knife fight in a phone booth and I had a baseball bat. <laughs> well, at, at least you'd read the rules, so that was us moving up in the world from our usual games. Yeah, games. exactly. But that is just so cool that freaking Gavin is playing, man. That is just, he's such a neat kid. Well, the, the cool thing is the game is pretty straightforward. It's it's not super complex, um, and so it's it's got mechanics that, that kids can pick up on, and you don't have to play it with all the, you know, ace cards and theater and doctrine and all that stuff. Uh, it's still just a lot of fun to push the miniatures around just with the, the basic information that's on the cards, even with no traits. Yeah, I got to uh, make sure I'm careful about... Uh you know, letting the Wookiee win, you know, I want to make sure he continues to have a good time until he feels really confident with the game. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a good time. We've played a couple of games. Negative. Beat the crap out of him early. Make him cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how we were all raised as war gamers. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, there was a uh, interesting discussion about that on a couple different podcasts about how do you demo a game and how do you, how do you get people to not necessarily master the game but at least have played through a bunch of the mechanics 
Um, and, and there's an element of you sometimes got to let them win a little bit. Or it's not that you so much throw the game, but you're like, ooh, I'm not going to just totally smash them for that mistake they've made. Um, I'm going to let it go to kind of its logical conclusion, which, as we've seen, sometimes that means the game takes a lot longer. But, you know, it's, it's probably more fun for them and, and brings them back to play the game again. Yeah, little things I've been trying to do, like I've, I'm pointing out to him, like what diving is and, you know, all that. Uh, but I won't do it. I'll, I'll only go... Uh, you know, my max distance, sometimes I'll intentionally not go my max distance, but I won't dive. I won't add it. You know, I don't do anything complicated. I won't, um, when I have the option to turn in, I won't turn in, you know, so that, you know, just kind of gives him a little more opportunity for setups to see if he sees the combinations and he's, he's managed a tailing solution at least once or twice. So you know, he's, he's seeing how it works. So it's kind of cool. Well, cool. Well, what else have uh, you guys seen or what else do we want to talk about in this uh, 40th episode, our one year anniversary as we uh, as we kick this whole thing off again? Man, I haven't been doing any painting because I've been in total heads down display mode on this campaign thing. But I have recently finished really all the the actual text work and it's all sort of like proofing and editing and maybe adding in some little artwork and whatever. So maybe we'll have something to show with that soon. That's pretty cool. Chris, anything uh, else? Yeah, to be honest, um, I've just been getting back up here and getting reaccustomed to everything and figuring out everything that needed to be done. Um, I haven't done any Blood Red Sky stuff. I did get start getting paint on a war, or I mean, a Warhound Titan today. So, which has been that's that's my next. Big we don't project. care about thirty k. I know we don't. I know we I, don't. No, I, I actually I didn't just, bring any this time. I, I kind of. I didn't I, bring any thirty k either. It was kind of like I'm going to go and we're going to play Blood Red Skies. I'm going to play Blood Red Skies all the time, and that was cool. I know that was the funny but, thing. I didn't bring that or Dust the the last no. time. I literally just brought down Blood Red Skies, and there was enough of that, and yeah. I've got enough projects there. No, I mean, I, th- I think that I think it worked out perfect this time. It was just immerse ourselves in Blood Red Skies. I was totally cool with that. I've just I've had a bug because I've been listening to the last couple of Horace Heresy novels the, the last couple of weeks, and it's just been the new Dad Net, Dan Ebnett model book has been so good. God, this, my just, space Marines are there oh on Terra. They're fighting the Siege of Terra. I had to get back to him. I got talking with Trevor. Freaking, <laughs> we started talking freaking Space Marine stuff, and freaking, and I was just like, I, I got to paint some freaking some Heresy stuff. I got to take a little break from World War II. No, you admit it. You wanted to paint Tau. You wanted to do some 40K, you know. You know, I think that was 30K. the one thing me and Trevor agreed on is that we don't hate anything more than we hate Tau. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right up there, it's yeah. right up there with Imperial Fist for me. So, <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no worries. No worries, man. That's easy. No big deal. Freaking sucker. Well, it's, it's funny. So so have you at least cracked open Corsair Leader since you made it home? Since you so didn't bring it I, down. I, I have looked over a Corsair Leader again. And at You're getting some, an F. Dude, I know. I, I want to play it so bad, but it's just like I've got 500 things going on. It's like. It takes like an hour to play a game. So it's, it's I, I've watched all the tutorials online and I mean, it doesn't look, you know, it looks like it's something that's really enjoyable, really easy to set up. And it's, it's, I just need to bring myself to the point where I just punch it all out and freaking go for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just have to play through a sample turn. Brett, you played yeah. uh, Phantom Leader uh, while we were there, or you, you watched as we kind of went through a turn in Phantom Leader. What'd you think of that? Just uh, kind of like the 30,000 foot view. No, I, I liked it. And this is weird to say, but it had like a certain kind of nostalgia too. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean? It's, it's just the setting was cool, you know, the whole Vietnam thing. Maybe it's topical because we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, Vietnam with the playtesting and everything else. So I, I liked it. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I brought uh, Hornet Leader here uh, with me on my trip, so I'll be 
playing through that a little bit, but I uh, I pretty much uh, already spent my birthday money uh, <laughs> on a couple different games. I picked up uh, Red Storm, which is a super complex, uh, not quite to the air war level, but uh, like an operational uh, air uh, air mission game for a hypothetical war in Germany in the 1980s. Seems pretty cool. And I picked it up because it was kind of, you know, bigger scale than what we've been doing at Blood Red Skies. It's whole strike packages, different kinds of aircraft doing stuff in the modern era. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And then I totally went off the aerial game uh, bandwagon and picked up Undaunted North Africa. And I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, the previous Undaunted game that's uh, that's out there, but it's, it's kind of cool because it's got a combo of rearrangeable tiles, cards, uh, to keep track of your forces, and then a variety of different uh, different characters and vehicles and all kinds of stuff. So I'm I'm kind of interested to play that for a small uh, skirmish level, uh, squad level game. It seems like it'd be pretty cool. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate both of you coming on tonight, celebrating our one year anniversary of doing this, and no one's fired us yet. So thanks to the Blood Red Skies community for putting up with us. Brett, Chris, thanks for being on tonight. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Yeah, man. <laughs>